0: i feel like when we started this show there was going to be there were going to be more bits you know Mm -hmm. like i really thought it was going to be a lot of different like very structured, running jokes, you know, and we had those at the start, I think. But, like, this is a way of saying I want, like, a new bit. I want, like, some new thing to spice it up in I here, you know? I did
1: look to see what's going on down there, yeah. and there's not a lot. So
0: that's what we're down to, folks. This is – our show is now just jokes about whatever's happening in Australia that we can vaguely tie a book to.
1: Sometimes New Zealand.
0: Um. Sometimes – you're right. We'll, we'll, we'll get emails if we don't say <laughs> And, like – Though your tinfoil hat segment was good, we got to bring that back.
1: Oh yeah, I have you to figure out. You just like baselessly
0: conspiracy theorizing on air,
1: just was, about Amazon was
0: really good. I think that we should definitely bring that back. Um, it was weird. Like I feel like our only real bit to start was the gong, which was nice.
1: Well, we had the James People. Patterson book of the week. Yeah,
0: that was that one to do in the way that I wanted to do it needed an absolutely dry delivery that I don't even know. Is pot like, man? Yeah, that one kind of fell off. Even though that was fun for a while, I feel like we really enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Remember book shots? That was fun.
1: Yeah, but they they yeah. kind of like went. I mean, that's yeah. those that was tied to the James yeah. Patterson book of the week. Yeah. All of this is to say, you should listen to our back <laughs> back episodes.
0: Back when we did things like plan episodes and <laughs> segments. Um,
1: now we have Toulon at May Concern, that's which good, is more that's helpful, bit. but it is still a bit.
0: Yeah. No. I'm. But I we need like something zanier, like, we need, like, a section where, like, you know, I, like, say my classic catchphrase or something, you know? Like, I don't even know what my catchphrase Folks, is. Folks, like, that's your
1: classic catchphrase. You know, catchphrase. like, every
0: now once an episode, I say something like, "Salam ding dong and, like... <laughs> Everyone understands. Oh, he said it. There it is. Like, that's that it's classic. It's your
1: Hello, Laura. That
0: classic thing we know and love on the radio. Is Hello, um, Laura
1: technically a bit? It's gotta I think be, it yeah. Is. No,
0: I mean, that really morphed into something I was not anticipating.
1: People people write to me I when I don't do. say it, so now I just have to. I, know, I used ups- to.
0: It's very upsetting to me. But it's a thing to, you say. That's they true. Love, like, I feel erased from the narrative of Hello, Laura. Well. Because I'm the one who says Hello, Laura. You had the and opportunity
1: you, to be the person who tells happened? dad jokes, and you—you've taken didn't, that from me.
0: Mm-hmm. You're both Laura and the dad of this show, and I have become nothing. Um, which is a way of saying welcome to this episode of Print Run,
1: hosted by Laura's Ass Only. <laughs> uh,
0: my name doesn't really matter. Who I am. Uh, but with me, as always, uh, Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello, Laura. Uh, wow. Love that. I'm picturing a whole auditorium of people standing and applauding as you say <laughs> your stupid hello, Laura. Uh, we've got a live show coming next month. Maybe people will applaud you for that. I won't. Um, <laughs> we've got a great show for you today. We're going to talk about what else? The book news of the minute. Um, and I don't know, talk a few, talk through a few different things, um, just kind of catch up as we end the week we're recording on a friday morning this time instead of a monday afternoon which is very
1: distressing to me
0: it feels i i love it because it's i'm i'm like in podcast mood friday afternoon monday Mm. monday afternoon it's like i've got a billion things to do like i'm like thinking about all this different stuff like this is when i'm ready to just like say baseless and uninformed things into a microphone this is way better (laughs) Um, but before we get to any of those baseless and uninformed things, how about the basic rundown?
1: Absolutely. So coming this week, or it might even be out now, I'm unsure, um, is our query show for this month. Note that because um, we had some some institutional things to deal with, including me leaving my day job and becoming an agent full time, um, we ended up missing our um, first pages and our special episode Last month. So what we're doing is we're doing a super big first pages episode, which will be coming to you on Patreon at the eight dollar a month or higher level. Um, that'll be coming to you in the next week, and we'll also be doing an Ask Print Run. Mm-hmm. It's been a while since we've done that. Yeah. Um, but we what we do is we collect all of the. Online questions and all of the, you know, kind of interesting forum questions. I was going to say we can pull
0: from the forum and now
1: too. in our emails and put together a really big, comprehensive ask print run where we answer any and all of your questions. So if you would like to have your question included in this episode, send them to us either on Twitter or printrunpodcast at gmail.com. Now, I mentioned the forum just a minute ago. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a new space that we've created that we're super, super excited about. One thing that we realized is that over the past three years, people have developed a really, really um, wonderful community between individual listeners and us. One thing that we wanted to give... to our listeners is access to one another. And so the forum is primarily a place for writers, but it's an opportunity to really kind of connect with other writers about submissions or writing tips or finding critique partners or kind of anything else. We've had a lot of really good experiences with it so far, a lot of really wonderful conversations happening, a lot of very positive conversations. Some people have even gone off the forum into like a Slack channel to like, you know, yell at each other to make sure that they're writing. All good. (laughs) So all of this is really good. Find people Um, to yell at each other Yeah, if you would like to join, send us an email. Um, And finally, if you would like to support this endeavor or just kind of generally... our coffee intake or eating our favorite pizza known as hog in the bog or even just like our hosting fees you can buy us a coffee on ko-fi so it's ko-fi.com slash print run ko-fi is ko-fi so yeah okay that's all of my announcements a few
0: minutes ago before we ordered i had this brilliant idea where we could... I'm doing... Oh, I'm airing it on oh, the air. God. I, <laughs> I was like, Laura, if we record... Because it's like 11.30 right now. I was like, Laura, if we order the pizza before the, we do the episode, and then it, the pizza can cook and be delivered while we record. And imagine how fun it would be to be done with the episode and then have pizza. And folks, I was shut down. I was shut down. Um... It's
1: I had pizza from John's Pizza Cafe <laughs> twice this week. Once including last night. So I'm just, I don't wanna, I don't want to tire the hog and the bog out. Is all I'm saying.
0: Yeah, maybe. I mean, I guess that's one way of seeing life and our mortality. But um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway,
1: let's talk about books.
0: Books. Um, so one thing that happened i guess what is this article from today even it looks like it is a we're looking at a publisher's weekly article today about a book deal that just happened that i think is going to give us plenty to say here and i think more than anything it's going to give us plenty to say later so it's going to be worth kind of checking in on it now planting a flag and then like, just monitoring how this book ends up toward lead-up. So basically what we have here is um, a novel by a woman named Zakia Delilah Harris um, who, as the article lists, is a former Knopf assistant editor um, and She's Atria... She's 27. Age 27, so young person, um, former publishing assistant level um, at Knopf, which is part of Penguin Random House. Um, it's one of their more literary imprints. Um, it's... And they sold this book to Atria, uh, which... You know another you know kind of a big five imprint, um, and it's interesting because of the discussion around this. I think in that you have a thing that usually I think we ascribe to Hollywood, right? Like Hollywood loves movies about movies, right? Like they love to produce, like they love that kind of stuff. And here we have a, kind of an exa- a parallel example where um, publishing is willing to pay um, seven figures. For and I, to be clear, like up front, like I am pro this book. So just, I mean, we don't know anything about it, but like from the description, sounds stuff, good as hell. Yeah, no, I'm ready to read it. But like, um, so
1: let's, let's real quick yeah. talk about what the book is. Yeah. It's called The Other Black Girl. Uh-huh. Um, it is, and this is a direct quote, a cheeky blend of horror, suspense, and cultural commentary. Um, it's been pitched as Get Out Meets Younger. <laughs> so essentially, oh the, story, the story, the <laughs> story is. Um, the main character is the only black woman who is working at a publishing house. Yep. And one day there's another black woman there and things kind of get weird and it's kind of about microaggressions and it's a little horror and that's all I know about and we
0: it. Know, and what we know about that because here in the article it lists, um, you know, this is a story that directly comes from the author's life. You know, she tells, you know, of this kind of watershed moment in her life where she sees another black person at you know, this publishing house, she's working at uh, PRH and
1: she was surprised by it. She was surprised. She was in the bathroom. It was literally
0: such a experience Mm -hmm. that, you know, a novel came to her, you know what I mean? And like, it's, and it just got me thinking, you know, this is going to be, especially knowing the comps here, like they're going with get out, you know, like this is going to be a book that is going to hit the, it's going to hit at the publishing industry, right? Like it's going to basically provide, apart from being a story and it is fiction, like, it is going to generate conversation about the publishing industry, right? How could it not? It seems to me like that's the – that's the, not the point of the book. The point of the, if any novel is to tell its story, you know, whatever. But, like, this is a book that is going to say some things about diversity in publishing, all this kind of stuff. Um, and the thing that really strikes me first – about this, And there's lots of ways to kind of look at this and unpack it and be excited for this project. It's just like, you know, we've talked and highlighted many times before on this show how like how many problems there are. And, and people who aren't us do a much more thorough job of it, too, like talking about, um, you know, how deep the problems of, you know, uh, diverse hiring and things like that are in the publishing industry. All these things. Everybody knows that it's an, what feels like an endless Conversation with nothing ever. We did improving. an episode
1: on it like two weeks. We ago. We did,
0: yeah, and like we've done a bunch of episodes like in different ways, like this idea of like how who gets hired for what, what sort of you know books get acquired, who's in the editorial rooms, all these different things that are just so central to anyone who's even remotely progressive minded, uh, progressive minded discussing the industry right now, and yet those things never seem to change because publishing loves to cry poor, it loves to say that, you know, it doesn't have the, um, you know, it can't fix these things, it doesn't have the money. Uh, we know that to be largely false um, because we see the money in action all the time in ways we don't like. But here, it's interesting to me and evocative of a certain idea that publishing would so happily, and to be clear, lots of other publishers were lined up to pay this much money. It
1: 14 was 14-bitter auction.
0: An, <laughs> man, someday, one of my... One of my aging dreams would be to have an auction that big someday. Uh,
1: Fourteen. Fourteen,
0: just like all of New York, like asking for it. Like, man, that would be, uh, you know, things are going well, but not that well. (laughs) That's pretty good. Um, But, um, like, it's just so interesting that publishing would so readily line up for a, for a, what I assume is going to be a very, like, I don't even know what the inflammatory story about Mm -hmm. itself. And it was willing to pay seven figures for that story without also like having looked in the mirror at all and said, hey, the reason this book exists and the reason that it's going to be the book that it is is because of problems we create. You know what I mean? Like literally the person writing the check for this probably has had a hand in um, causing these same issues. And it just gets back to that idea of like, Commodifying rather than fixing And to be Again I want to reiterate I think this book probably des- I mean it definitely deserves A seven figure advance If if that's one Because that's what it got In any book that gets Any amount of money Like get your money And I think it's going to be very good But there's something interesting here About that impulse On the part of the publisher To be like Oh yeah that's really entertaining That's something we can sell to people And also not ever think about Where that story comes from with Especially when it's so on the nose You know I don't know. What do you think?
1: I I I think you're incredibly right. Um and even <laughs> even like this Publishers Weekly article is linking to th- to an article about how the workforce is overwhelmingly white yeah. and reporting on this in such a way that is talking about the makeup of this industry as something that is given that is a given and is unchanging and like it's not it does not escape my notice that this is like that this author that harris quit her job yep and is now outside of the industry to Mm -hmm. write a book about it so like there's, <laughs> there's something there, and and you know this particular Publishers Weekly article reports on how she made money while she was writing this book. She worked part time in a coffee shop yeah. and taught writing, uh, or not coffee shop, a cupcake shop and taught writing. And <laughs> I think it's worth interrogating why it is that this person had to leave publishing to be able to. Yeah. like write about it. Like cuz that's one of the huge problems, right? Is people of color getting assistant jobs and then leaving assistant jobs.
0: Yeah.
1: Um I I'm also I okay. There's also something really really insidious about the way that this article is talking about the book and particularly how um their agent Stephanie Delman who is um who, who sold this book uh, was talking about the the American dirt controversy. If you're not super familiar with that, we did an episode on it just a couple sure. of episodes ago. But um, I want to unpack she, this, yeah. she, yeah, she admits that the, the controversy surrounding American dirt happened in the background of this submissions process right. and that it came up in editorial meetings. And, um and so, Delman, and this is a direct quote, said that she felt American dirt controversy and the topics it had resurfaced may have made editors even more confident that the other black girl has an audience. And so I want to, yeah, yeah let's, let's like mess to with me, for a second. To me, there's something <clears throat> there that is implying that the people who bought this book and the people that sold this book are looking at this as a sort of course corrective or like a balm in the like general fuck up that was (laughs) American dirt
0: yeah and that is weird and that to me I agree that there's something like it seems to me like just I let's start from this point what is the agent here Delman what is she actually saying and that is to me what I, I read this quote as like she was pitching this book amidst a scandal about how about how just About short, race and own voices. About race, about race and writing and how a book like this that literally is about the publishing industry, like, she probably caught editors at a particularly, like, aware moment of that exact issue and that it may have, you know, helped, you know, drive interest. And apart from that, you know, she says, like, the amount of, like, traction that American Dirt Scandal, you know, got, you know, it sort of showed that people are interested in this. And it's just... It actually, it just, again, it gets back to that idea of, like, the only way we know how to think about these things is through, like, things we've sold. Like, again, like, oh, like, imagine, and again, I think this is correct. Like, I have complicated thoughts here because I think that this agent... I, like, I have no issue with this, this quote or even with the thinking on the part of this. I think that the, this is just an accurate portrayal of what happened and I'm, all you know, all for them getting their money all that kind of stuff. But there's something in the underlying logic about publishing, not necessarily this, this person's strategy, but, like, about how these editorial boards, like, they only they're only able to see the outrage about the American Dirt stuff as a potential book-buying audience mm-hmm. that they can then sell the course correction to you know, the story, as opposed to, again, fixing any of this stuff. And now we're reaching a little bit here. There's no question about, like, um, you know, it's early in this process. It's, like, probably lots of people involved in in publishing are, you know, working to kind of fix some of this stuff. But, like, it's just weird how these conversations happen almost entirely in terms of, like, how can we sell the problem back to the people experiencing it, you know? and i think that this book what it has a chance to do especially if it's pitched like get out like that comp title really kind of gets me because it's that movie is such a great critique not just of racism right but it's a critique of a very specific kind of self-congratulatory white liberal yes you know what i'm talking about like it it, it's not conservatives i would have voted
1: for obama for a third term exactly it's not
0: conservatives in get out it's A very specific kind of like – and publishing is filled with these people. I'm sorry to be the one to tell you that. But like it's filled with this exact kind of person who like loves to fancy themselves as progressives, who loves to see themselves as not part of the – you know, they're not the problem. They're willing to point out and call out the problem and do all the tweets and do all the things. But like they don't see themselves as part of that same – System, Mm -hmm. and this feels like a book that is gonna really show some people that that is not the case, and in that way, you know, I kind of already, you know, put it out on the print run account, like there are going to be takes about this book that you are not going to believe. There's gonna people are going to lose their minds in the in way that I think is gonna be really illustrative. I like, I guess, like I see this book as. Knowing nothing about it other than its premise and, you know, what we have here, you know, a few quotes from the author and various things like that, like, it seems like this book has a real chance to drive the conversation about diversity in publishing in a, in a much more direct and honest way than... Perhaps publishing has ever been willing to in the past, and I think like I don't necessarily love the impulse that it always has to come from some book that has been bought and sold for tons and tons of money. And again, like I guess even the money, like I'm glad this person got the money. Like always, do that, and this book would clearly deserve it. But like I just, yeah, I think it's. I think there's going to be the sort people are going to say things about this book that are going to really tell on themselves and. So when
1: you say going to tell on themselves, can you walk me through a couple of the takes we know that we're going to be getting?
0: Well, I just mean it's going to be like what I mean by that, you know, in that expression that anyone uses, like people are going to say things that they think sound progressive, that they think sound, oh, we've got to do something about this. You know, they're going to hold up this book and try to do the same sort of take about how oh, we've got to fix diversity in publishing, folks. We've got to do all that stuff. Except in this instance, I have a feeling that those people might be the villains in the book. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like it's, and I guess I'm, you know, again, now we're guessing. So a lot of, so there's probably
1: going to be a lot of posturing without a lot of self-reflection or looking at it and saying. this is a book
0: that I think has a chance to really at least, again, total, the obvious, obvious, like (laughs) disclaimer here is I have not read this book. I don't know, but like based on how it's pitched, Based on what might be in it, based on, clearly, it was a, um, the way, just, what we have here so far, and all this is subject to change when the book actually publishes and we can read it, and we will, and we'll talk about it, but, like, I think that you're going to see some people make fools of themselves, in addition to um, what hopefully is some really productive conversation, and honestly, like, even as I say all of that, like, I get a little frustrated because this is not how I like to even talk about fiction. You know what I mean? Like this is a story in and of itself. It's going to have like Atria is a fairly literary imprint, you know, like this is meant to be a stylized piece of work in and of itself, not just like a critique. Like it's not nonfiction, you know what I mean? Like this is a, (laughs) this is a story and it'll stand on its own artistic merit and all that kind of stuff on its own and should be reviewed and everything as such. But I do think that it'll be the sort of fiction that generates real world conversations that <laughs> I'm just telling you, get ready. Like I'm there's going to be.
1: <laughs> so, so I think, I think, you know, Eric's been very careful here to say like, I'm just like, I'm just spitballing here, except he's kind of not. Um, Cause later on in this publisher's weekly article, there's an entire section about how the author's former colleagues feel about the book and whether or not it's actually reflective or is based on the the truth of what it's like to work at Knopf. Mm-hmm. And there's something really alarming that this need that this is very clearly going to be a book that in a lot of ways critiques the publishing industry and yet even in the deal announcement instead of centering the author and instead of centering how she wrote the book or why it's important um, what we're doing is we're checking with her former employer being like, oh, yes, but not us.
0: Yeah. Like, it's already
1: yeah. happening. <laughs> it's already happening. That is true. And, yeah. yeah, it's not just this work is entirely important because of this. It's no, no, no. Like, this work is extra important because somebody else fucked up somewhere else. Yeah. And, like, with American Dirt. And th- it's already, like, I'm just thinking, I, I, you know, it's worth a thought exercise of – when a book even even a book that is a social commentary cuz most books are um but even one that's a very direct social commentary if it's written by a white person
0: mm-hmm.
1: would there ever be areas in a in a deal announcement that's talking to like that's interviewing or talking to other um, other yeah. employees of it this is a thing strange, you know yeah. it's it's already shaping the way that we're talking we're about already this book.
0: calling our managers on this book
1: <laughs> we are and the thing yeah. is and the yeah. thing is is everybody thinks that they're doing it positively yeah. right now yeah,
0: but, and that's the, that is, so that instinct right there, that mechanic that you're talking about, everyone thinks they are doing it positively. That, I have a feeling, is going to be the exact mechanism that gets torn to pieces in this book. Because it is shallow, it's wrong, and you're going to see people try to apply it to a book that explicitly rejects it. And I think that the results are, apart from being very funny in a lot of instances, I have a feeling, are going to be really kind of poignant and revealing and interesting. Um, So I don't know. I mean, I think, like, you should read – I mean, I I have this impulse to, like, read more quotes from this Publishers Weekly article, especially from the author – of the book but like we'll send it out you should read it for yourself like it's um i don't know it seems i'm very interested in this book i think it it sounds great i don't know anything other than what everyone else knows but like i can't wait to read it
1: reading between the lines though this is going to be something that we're definitely going to be revisiting oh yeah
0: no we will and i just hope that it's like and clearly it is like or clearly somebody sees something in it like my hope for this book is that it really kind of stands up as, like, art as opposed to just, like, I don't want this to yeah. just be the publishing critique book. I want it to be, like, a really good novel. And this is and also not, I don't and want this
1: book to be the response to American Dirt or the, I mean, or like the, or like is, the black yeah, publishing book. Like, I want, I mean, yeah, like, I, I, I want to, like, if people are listening now, people who review books, people who whatever, I, I want to kind of, it's really tempting to think about the context of this book. Um, and I would maybe challenge you and even just plain readers who are reviewing it on Goodreads or, you know, on BarnesandNoble.com or something like that. Um, really think about it in terms of just the book as it stands. Yeah, yeah <laughs> not exactly. Not, you know, in relation to all this other stuff that we are being told it's related to right now.
0: That's actually a, a really... Like, talk about the book as it stands mm-hmm. is a really good point because one thing I think an impulse around a project like this is going to be is people are going to want to talk about it as something other than what it is, which is a novel. Yeah. You know, it, people are going to get away from arts criticism. They're going to get into, like, well, this, you know, they're going to take issues with things, you know, on a reality level. They're going to take issues with things. They're going to, it's going to be. Maybe the way to distill this point is people are going to talk about this book as though it is not a novel, and I think that it's going to be really irritating, and we will push <laughs> We're back. We're
1: already irritated about yeah. it. Um, I just like
0: to sit around and imagine all the takes that I could be irritated by that don't even exist yet. It's yeah. called having a giant brain yeah. that swells each day to the size of enormous proportions.
1: Yeah. Well, commodifying <laughs> it, like yeah. publishing's own problems as its own horror story it the is. most publishing
0: thing in the world. The most. There's nothing yeah. more publishing than a seven-figure deal that just fillets the, its own industry without actually ever thinking, hey, maybe we should fix this shit. Like, it's really good. We're going to have a great time. Yeah. Um, anyway.
1: Let's talk about bookstores.
0: Let's talk about bookstores, Laura. You showed me this. So why don't you <laughs> lead us in to this?
1: Yeah. So I found a thread um, on Twitter.com. Um, the, the author of the thread is Josh Cook, who is a writer. Um, I think he has a book out with Melville house. Um, and he's also a bookseller and Mm. he did a big thread and, you know, we'll retweet it from, from the print run account, but he did a big thread about how ridiculous it is that publishers just kind of flail talking about flat sales mm-hmm. and how the reason that the sales aren't high is because they don't have a smash hit like how becoming was or like 50 yeah. shades of gray was yeah. um and yet they're not investing in Indies and the thing about Indies that Josh rightly points out is indie bookstores are doing incredible like they're they're growing um booksellers are absolutely amazing. At getting people to buy more than what they think that they want, um, and ultimately, it's a very, very good thing for publishing. Yeah. And so, Josh put forth um, an idea about what if publishers invested in bookstores and book selling, mm-hmm. and what if they created some sort of like, um, like, additional organization or like a B Corp or hey, something like here, that. Yeah. So
0: here we go. Here's what. He, here's the tweets. I'll read two of them. Publishers have a vested interest in that stream growing, and they know this, so they should establish a non-profit or B Corp like our friend's bookshop and fund the opening, sustaining, and growth indie bookstores through grants, and no or low interest loans. The money is there and it would be a better investment than a lot of other times they've thrown a million dollars around. It would operate independently and just be funded by the big publishers and smaller publishers if they want, in parentheses. People would be able to apply for grants and loans to open stores, expand stores, relocate, handle massive rent increases, recover from weather, natural disasters, and retain staff. And then there's a little bit more. But that's like the basic idea here is like, and it gets at a larger concept, Mm -hmm. right? Like and I actually, before we even get into it, I want to f- go back a second to a different episode you and I did, a ways back. Back when, um, remember that Pitch Wars?
1: Yes. Perfuffle?
0: You know, we did an episode then that basically asked.
1: Real quick, Pitch Wars is um, started as a Twitter kind of contest and it grew yeah. into this thing where there are... Um, authors who mentor chosen novelists and then at the they work really hard on revisions and then afterward agents come in and it's lots of people it's a whole
0: infrastructure for finding talent that eventually publishers get to use yeah now one we did there was a controversy around that because they were thinking of charging a fee somewhere in there and we all sort of agreed and eventually agreed that you know charging a fee to use this stuff paying for access it's all bad um but
1: it we got, came down on the side that publishers and well, agents that, well, should Well, that's
0: pay. what I was going to say. Is like we, ha- we ended up having our conversation about that process focused on, well, where should the money come from to fund these things that are not expressly part of publishing infrastructure but end up having direct influence on how well it does and something that they can use, right? Like, for instance, like, you know, something like Pitch Wars, which is – it's largely – I mean, it's just a whole – Grassroots infrastructure that ends up with publishers getting better books, right? Yeah. Because it organizes talent, it gets people in, in talking to other professionals. It helps, it aids collaboration. It helps us find, as agents, find better writers, and those writers then end up getting, you know, have a higher likelihood of getting a deal. You know what it I mean? It builds like,
1: interest. It's all a whole these thing things.
0: that, at the very, very end, publishers get to use as um you get to like, you know, just kind of reap the benefits of you know what mm-hmm. I mean like they are the ones who make money off of things like pitch wars or any other light contest and that same logic I think you know as Josh kind of points out here I think really smartly could be applied to the indie bookstore world right because like if if he he as he asserts and he's correct that indie bookstores are really good at selling books and books uh, book publishers are feeling as squeezed as they are by Amazon it sort of stands to reason that book publishers should maybe help keep those indie bookstores in business and they should help keep that ecosystem thriving and stuff, you know.
1: Before before we got on air, Eric and I were talking about this and and I um I use the analogy that it's like publishers are like a like a person or a business that doesn't pay any taxes and so the roads around their home are filled with potholes and then they get into their maserati and drive around and expect everything to be maintained without their support mm-hmm. um and and really like we everybody talks about the amazon like the fight against Amazon, as it's Amazon versus bookstores, it's Amazon versus Barnes and Noble, it's Amazon that crushed Borders, it's Amazon versus indies, um, but that's not who the fight is against. Like the fight is Amazon versus publishers, yeah. and yeah. indie bookstores—they're like the are, best
0: tool they have. They're
1: they're a tool, right? Yep. Like they're they're the first line of defense. They're not the other side of the war. Yep. Um, and just thinking, it's just it's just like. Publishers will always talk about, well, like Amazon, again, like it's a foregone thing that can't be changed and they'll wring their hands. And when, you know, when it really, really matters, like with the the Amazon, the Audible captions thing yep. or, yep. you know, whatever, they'll they'll um they'll they'll use their fancy lawyers and they'll fight it. Right. But there's still they're just looking at bookstores as expenses. Like you look at a lot of mid-list books that are chosen to be mid-list and publishers will, won't do galleys. They won't do advanced reader mm. copies because it's, like, too expensive to send to booksellers and the booksellers might not, you know, whatever. And it's it's not necessarily a place that they're really investing in. Yep. Um, except for things like American Dirt, where they send, like, twice as many <laughs> copies to a bookstore as they have employees. <gasps> um, <laughs>
0: well, it's just, like, it's basically they should pay for their own infrastructure. Right. Right? Like, if this is... You know, you use the analogy like, you know, a rich person, you know, constantly voting to not have to pay taxes and then complaining about the quality of the roads. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's it's that kind of thing. Like in one part of this, you know, this thread that, that Josh did that I think is actually really smart and evocative of a whole other larger set of ideas is like accounting within the publishing ecosystem accounting for things like rent spikes Mm. and things that aren't specifically within the book world at least not on its face like which is something that it publishing almost never does with regard to its own employees as new york city gets more expensive like there's the salaries are not going up you know what i mean like it's 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 like not really responding to the wider world it's living in and like that sort of thing it's like hey you know, suddenly this bookstore in San Francisco where, you know, it's thriving and doing well, but suddenly it can't afford to live there because, you know, prices are going so far up. Like, publishing should want to keep that place alive. It has a vested financial interest in doing so, and it should especially – like, it's, just, it's good for so many reasons, right? Because, like, indie bookstores do so much beyond just sell books. Like, even if – I mean, I think you could make the case for something like this purely on those grounds. But I also think that there is a case for publishers – let's say like indie bookstores didn't sell any books. I think that you could also make a case that publishers should support them just based on like the community they foster around books.
1: The conversations. About conversations,
0: events, you know, just like the free advertising. You get like people walking through – at least for me, like knowing my book buying habits, like I buy books that I see – in the store. Not necessarily the first time I see them in this you know, but I walk through, you know, I make lists in my phone of what looks good and what, you know, I might want to pick up later like getting people I think that publishing fundamentally hinges on the idea of getting its customers to wander through independent bookstores mm-hmm. for any number of reasons, buying books, seeing authors talking to people, going to events, you know, meeting Like, encountering books they weren't otherwise going to see. All these different things. Like, these are the spaces that we need to protect. These are the spaces that publishing has a vested interest in protecting. And as he points out, like, the money is there. And they could absolutely, like, (laughs) do this instead of, like, you know, the nook. You know what I mean? Well,
1: I mean, browsing. Yeah. Like, browsing. I think we can just talk about that for a moment. Because, um you know, as agents, you hear us complain about the fact that publishers aren't investing in mid list anymore. They they decide that they're gonna have one big book or yeah. two big books a season and they're gonna spend all their resources on that and then everything else, like you're kind of shit out of luck. And bookstores are integral to mid lists and just kind of non, non um list. I don't even want to call them mid list, just non-front list books. Yeah. Cause there's not even really a mid list. There's just front list yeah. and then everything else. Um browsing is integral to to those books making money. And we've we've talked before and we will continue to talk about how problematic and for a lot of for a lot of reasons that it is that publishing is moving away from diversity of of titles yeah. and moving towards like
0: it's concentrating, concentrating on the and bigger books, yeah, right on on these big bigger. books,
1: yeah. um, and and that this is this is like a way to this is a way to fight that for very little. Like it would probably be, you know, think of all the number all the books that like a Penguin Random House publishes on the midlist every year. Like mm-hmm. that's a lot of books. Yeah. If you think about taking that money, that you're barely kind of spending on publicity and doing the bare minimum. Like, that money, put it into bookstores, empower your authors to kind of be publicists or even just, like, take a couple million from the barbed wire centerpieces from American Dirt and give them to bookstores and really empower booksellers to move your midlist. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Like, one yeah. one good Bookseller, one passionate bookseller can move more books than having one title stocked in every single yeah. Barnes and Noble. Yeah, with nobody knowing it's there. Yeah, like no, one absolutely. good bookseller absolutely can sell tens and tens and tens of copies of the same title if they really believe in it.
0: And it just gets back at this idea, like just on an f- absolute fundamental conceptual level, like publishing's eventual answer to its many woes, should it ever find one, that is certainly not a given. <laughs> um, it's in investing in its people yeah, and not like new tech and like algorithms and shit like that. Like if you take care of, like think about the disjunction right now between, and this I know we're like off in the clouds now and like more idealistic stuff, but like the disjunction between an industry that is like struggling in its own way and also how much everyone loves the product. Like people love books. You know what I mean? Like that has not changed.
1: People are reading and more now than ever read before. so
0: much. And it's like if you just invest in the people who are di- – like even now. Do you know how competitive getting a publishing job is right now? People line up for an editorial assistant. Like everybody wants to work in this field. Everyone wants to do this stuff. But the investment just like publishers aren't – meeting that demand, you know what I mean like it's like there's just this weird thing where like there's all this enthusiasm to show up and be a good employee and like save this industry and just not nearly as much like commensurate like investment in the actual people as opposed to like spending on just as you know Josh points out in this, just stupid stuff like invest in your actual human infrastructure invest in indie bookstores invest I mean obviously in your staff and all this stuff that's separate from this conversation but like the answer is in people with publishing's problems. And I think this indie bookstore idea is really kind of emblematic of that, you know?
1: I'm thinking about um the the we we weren't recording that week, but when Barnes Noble announced that they had this special line of twelve <laughs> classic books that they basically just Used AI oh to figure out the if thing. the main character was... Vi- Ever like,
0: described as, like as brown. White. Yeah. yeah, or white, yeah. It was, it was yeah. is the
1: main character white? And if right. the main character wasn't explicitly right. decided, this like very, very bad algorithm <laughs> decided that these books I want to know what we
0: paid for that. Yeah. I want to know what someone and, paid to make Frankenstein black to yeah. understand they could do that.
1: And what they did is they just... Redesign these books yeah. in the public domain with <laughs> people of color on the cover.
0: One of the worst ideas I've ever heard in my life. Truly, Just and
1: like-, like think about think about somebody writing an algorithm like that, which is ignoring yeah. the <laughs> ignoring basically anything you ever learn about subtext and context and colonialism and all this other stuff, um, and then putting all of the that money into rebranding and printing and advertising and just like think about that and then think about like yeah. oh maybe maybe it would be really nice to give somebody startup capital to like open up an indie bookstore in like queens yeah that'd be great Or anywhere
0: like yeah it's you could you could change people's reading habits you could change like if you think of like investing Not only just in a bookstore, but investing in the community you place the Mm -hmm. bookstore in. Like, as we kind of described, like, these are rallying places for readers. You know what I mean? Like, people come to this stuff to do more than just buy. They encounter stuff. And it's like, you can draw so many people in who are not reached by doing this. I don't know. I think that this is, I think it's a great idea. I think that... It is an idea that is evocative of a larger pattern that needs to occur.
1: Yeah. This is yeah. probably a really good time to mention that our first print run live event is going to be at a bookstore. <laughs>
0: yeah, we'll have news on that soon. Yeah. So
1: um yeah, it'll be with Eric Smith. Mm. Uh, it'll be very fun.
0: Does he rock, folks? I think he does. We're gonna find out. We're <laughs> gonna ask him live on stage. Does he uh.
1: rock? Um let's let's do a to Loon at May Concern to close this episode out. Yes. Dearest Loon. I wonder if you could talk about choosing a new agent over an agent who has a few or a lot of sales under their belts. I know every agent has to start somewhere, but in all my research about querying agents and finding the right one for you, there's never real discourse about new agents. It's always reachers, the sales, talk to clients, but what if they don't have any is signing with a new agent, more of a risk. Thanks in advance, overthinking things in Oklahoma city.
0: Excellent, excellent, excellent question. And I think correct in that no one really talks about why you should choose someone new. I I mean, my short answer, and I'm going to rephrase this question for you here in a second. Yes. um, Which is, I think, yeah, there are plenty of reasons why someone should sign with a new agent. But to get to that point, I'm going to ask you, Laura, how did you convince your first client to sign with you? Like, what did you, like, if, or rather, and if you can't remember if it's that story isn't all that compelling, how about... If when you were a new agent, mm-hmm. and you were talking to writers who you knew were probably talking to other agents who mm-hmm. had a track record, who had all the things that you know this person is researching. You know they have the sales, they have the clients, they have all this stuff that looks really good, and they're told to look for mm-hmm. and correctly. By the way, that's not bad advice. Like what we, what is being listed here, it's like how how would you have sold someone on you, new agent Laura Zatz, early on?
1: Well, I think there's kind of two sides to it, it um, and they need to work in tandem. So the first thing is I'm enthusiastic. I have a ton of time and a lot of thoughts about your book. Yeah. Um, so like I can work on your book a ton. Bandwidth and, huge, yeah. and that combined with I have a support structure around me that can help me sell this book.
0: So I want to talk about that for a second because mm-hmm. I think that is interesting because – there's, there's new agents mm-hmm. and then there's new agencies, yes. right? And like one thing that I would have far less reservations about if I were an author finding someone, like if I were finding an agent who had never sold a book yet, mm-hmm. for instance, or someone who didn't have many clients, I would want – that would be my first question. It's like well, where do they work? Do they work somewhere that has a tr- like a respectable record of selling yeah. books? Like even if they in particular are, don't, you know, because like that's like the point of – of agencies is like you have this collaborative structure that can theoretically bring together multiple people and help someone who is starting new you know find their footing you know and that involves when they sign a special author like you helping them figure out how to pitch it help them figure out how Mm -hmm. to sell it all that kind of stuff
1: yeah and i mean (laughs) you want to you want to have your agent have a structure that not only can help them sell it but will also like do the contract with them and right. you know make sure that they're putting you in the best position. And right. so it and and to be clear it doesn't necessarily need to be an agency that specializes right. in the types of books that no. you're writing, you know, like Eric, for example, was a brand new agent at a agency that did not do anything. Right. Right. Um, but it was an agency that did specialize in a lot of nonfiction. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of where that line came across because you were able to really perfect proposals and, and really figure out what the, what the norms are that there. Um, and yeah, so and so if there's an agent where it's like they haven't sold anything, then look at the sales of the whole agency, specifically look at the sales of like who their boss is, who their mm-hmm. mentor is, Yeah. Um, because that's that's going to be really valuable. And so like if you're a really prolific author, if you're kind of I say I hesitate to use this word because it seems a little like negative, but it's definitely not. But like needy. Like, if you want a lot more, like, editorial work yeah. Yeah. or a lot more, you know, like, you you really want somebody who has time to, like, really, really work through stuff with mm-hmm. you, a new agent is a great, great opportunity for you.
0: I think so. So I agree with all that. And I would say, like, if I were researching and I was trying to decide between a new agent and an established one or a new agent and no agent, which is, again... Like, the agent who's wrong for you is worse than having no agent. You know what I mean? Right. Like, so sometimes the choice really is this one person or just continuing my querying search. Um, like, the call becomes really critical in this, to me. Like, getting on the phone and talking to this yeah. person. And, like, if they don't want to do that, there's your son, You know what I mean? Like, that's probably a reason not to do it. But, like, talk to them. Like, are they – what do they see in your book? Do they have good answers for that? Do they have a plan? Like, one thing – how like, are they
1: going to pitch it? Who thing, are they going to pitch it to?
0: Have them, and this is what I, and this is actually so. Like even just the other day, I talked to a relatively new agent, mm-hmm. you know, about you know something they were trying to figure out, you know, as they're trying to find their footing and all that kind of stuff. And like the thing that I would advise any anyone in that position with and is the same thing that I would advise an author to look for, which is that agents have a lot in their control that don't have to do with whether they've sold a book yet. Like, does, does the agent you're talking to, does it sound like they have a really firm sense of how they want to pitch your book? That's something that they don't need to have a track record to have a good idea on. Do they have a sense of where they want to pitch that book? Not that they need to give you their pitch list, but like when, if you said, hey, where do you want to send this book? Like, do you have ideas? Like, you see what they say. They you know? should
1: be able to talk strategy like, in terms exactly. of this like, is kind of what I would want to do right. to pitch it to these places. Right. I think we also have the uh, opportunity to tweak the pitch and yes. then submit it to these places. Right. right. I'm thinking that we'll do a combo of big and, and medium size. That. Like,
0: you don't need a track record for that. Yeah. And that is still really good. Like that sort of good thinking. Like if if the book feels like it needs some editing, do they have a plan for that? Like, what's their timeline? Like, are they um, I don't know. There's all sorts of things that you can ask them about how they see your project and the way they've engaged with it that are really valuable no matter who's saying it. like, right. like And so that would be the sort of instance where I would maybe go with a newer agent as opposed to someone who was more established if it really felt like they had a plan. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, if And it, that
1: they understood their book the same way you understood it.
0: Because like, I mean, the classic, you know, the very basic understanding here is like someone who's newer has more time for you. They have the time, like you are their top priority probably, or one of them, you know, like you're someone, because they're as hungry for a sale as you are. Like that's one thing about new agents is like having been one and you having been one, like we worked our ass off to sell Mm (laughs) it. Being a young agent, I cannot tell you, I used to lie awake wanting to sell a book. You know what I mean? Like it mattered so much and like it was such a huge deal and it was like, That was kind of a moment where, like, any client of mine, like, I feel I would be pretty hard-pressed to think of what else I could have possibly given them in in terms of, like, responsiveness and stuff because, like, our interests were so aligned, like, there was... The like guy was so locked in on trying to sell their stuff.
1: You would, like, turn stuff around in, like, 45 minutes? Yeah, exactly. Minutes. It's
0: like, they want, oh, they want their book edited? Sure. Well, I'm drop, literally dropping everything to do that right this second because what the hell else am I doing? You know what I mean? Like, there's reasons to sign with younger people. I think, like, what I would look for is, like, specific enthusiasm and a plan is mm-hmm. what I would look for in a new agent. And along with, if you can find it or identify it, a really good infrastructure around mm-hmm.
1: them. So, yeah. And, and, you know... That's that. It seems like we're arguing a lot for new agents, and I think it's because. Established agents don't really need to be argued for quite as much. Well, because
0: all the conventional wisdom would say sign with them,
1: right? And there, are, um, and sometimes
0: that is still the right. We aren't saying always sign with the new agent, like, <laughs> right? It's,
1: right, and so I think I think the big thing when deciding, and if you you are a person, and this is specifically for people who who are want much more of a collaborative or direct or fast relationship, um, I think that this is. Like that's something that that becomes sort of a concern for for who you want to sign with. You know, if Mm -hmm. you have somebody like if you're if you're talking to a, a really established agent and they have this they have currently a New York Times bestseller right now that's like on the list and things are popping like chances are that person is going to be the number one priority yeah. and not, not to say that that's a that's a good thing or a bad thing it's just kind of value neutral it's just like that's urgent right now because it's happening right now and so their plan might have might involve taking a little bit longer um and the key thing with that is if you're fine with it great but like now i'm you know i'm working on with my authors when they send me a manuscript it's like great my reading time is about a month from now you'll have notes in about a month which for some people might hear that and go absolutely not i think If Eric were ever to, like, we need to take take Eric's temperature if he ever said, I'm going to get this back to you in a month. Yeah. Um, But we also work on totally different things. So, yeah.
0: You know, one thing, like, I'm just, like, now thinking, I don't know how much we should or we even want to go into this. I'm thinking about what I did when I was new and how I, like, tried to find my footing to combat. Because I thought about this problem every day. Mm -hmm. Like, every single day, I was sitting there thinking okay, why would someone sign with me, right? Like, I'm a writer. Why would I sign with me? And there was a lot of days where it felt like I wouldn't, you know what I mean? Because, yeah. like, because I had no – track. because I – why would I – like, I didn't have a track record yet. And it was just, like, doing everything – what I would hope an author is looking for is evidence that they are trying to execute a vision that maybe hasn't come to fruition yet but you can see is potentially working, you know? And, like, it's – yeah, I don't know. I mean, I so I think like to the answer to this question, like why sign with a newer agent? It comes down to specificity and plan and like targeted enthusiasm. Like mm-hmm. if, any agent can get on a call and squee about your book with you. Like, but can they tell you, hey, here's what I want to do with your work. Here's yeah. what – and a lot of times like the younger person or the newer person is going to have a better answer for you yeah. on that than – someone who's established like lots and lots of bad agents sell a lot of books (laughs) you know what i I mean like seriously like so sometimes it's about like just finding that like does it seem like this person has command of what this project is and what they want to do with it you know
1: and are they and and the big thing is if you're looking to build A career with somebody and and a very targeted career, I think one of the most valuable things is to think really critically about where you want to be headed and how the book that you're seeking representation for fits into that larger, like, career arc. Mm -hmm. And then make sure that, like, if you are communicating on the call where you want to be headed, that the agent will take that into consideration and change their, like, and change their plan accordingly. So like if you come, this is this is a real life example. Like I signed an author for a romance novel, and we're starting to move this author into like the science fiction space. Right. And so what my suggestions are, and how I'm selling the books, and how we're editing them, is to to really take advantage and push in that direction. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, that's just another thing to, and you don't necessarily need to have answers and you don't need to be, you don't need to make one decision and then stick with it. Like, it's just, it's just something where you want, if you want to build that long-term career thing, you want somebody who's going to be flexible and is going to listen to you.
0: You know, I have one more thought on this about like how to maybe tell if this person is the right, like if a new agent is right for you and that might be like, um, do they sound are they trying to hide the fact that they're new? Do they sound insecure? Ooh. Like because one thing, like I would absolutely have I would have much fewer reservations signing with someone new if they were like, "Yes, I am a new agent. I'm someone who doesn't who just got into this job. who doesn't have the track record yet and is willing to be open about that, but then also in, in honest about that and be willing to talk about like how they plan to execute the vision anyway, mm-hmm. as opposed to coming across as like trying to hide that or downplay it, you know, giving you more high uh, high pressure sale, that sort of thing. Like, like you want to sign with someone real, you know what I mean? Like yeah. everyone is trying to find their footing one way or another in this industry. And I think like what separates people often is like a willingness to just be open about that as mm-hmm. opposed to trying to sound more polished than you were. Because you'll pick up on that, right? Like, you know, when someone's bullshitting you <laughs> and a lot of new agents, because they're, and this is not necessarily even a critique, but, like, you try to sound that way, you know, because you want to sound you, – you want to – You want to be
1: competent. Right.
0: You want to sound competent and polished and expertise and, like, you – and experience, not expertise. But, like, the idea here is sign with someone who's willing to openly talk to you about where they're at in their career, how your career fits with theirs, and, I don't know, what their plan is. You know, if they've got a plan, that matters more than – like, it doesn't maybe it doesn't matter more, but – It matters a hell of a lot in terms of, like, whether they're good for you or not, you know?
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, I hope that helped. It was a little meandery because I think new agent versus old agent brings in a lot of other elements yeah. to really talk about and consider um but i wish all of you who are searching for agents good luck mm-hmm. <laughs> remember if you would like some assistance with that send us your query or your first page on patreon and we'll try to help you out um yeah send those to us we're at printroompodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com and we will see you for another regular episode next week
0: bye